Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. As we are, as much as we didn't watch it and really didn't care, we are coming off of the inaugural NASCAR street race weekend in, in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Um, so I've heard nothing but complaints about the street race in Chicago from all my friends on Facebook. You know, I, one of my friends on Facebook was there, and I didn't see him comment on the race. But there's been a lot of talk and a lot of video of the major pileup in a very narrow section of the track. Exactly. And I had a long conversation with somebody who, you know, they, they asked me, they're like, well, you know, you're in Chicago. Aren't you going to watch the race? I mean, it... it, it it's the local race. And I'm like, no, I'm going to watch the race in Austria. But it's, you know, you want to support the, the local race. And I'm like, but it rained. They called the race. Which is kind of surprising because I could go watch the race in Austria where it rained all day Saturday and they still ran the race in the rain. And oh, by the way, the Formula One cars don't have a roof. Because they're open. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you have to understand in those stock cars that NASCAR has, adding windshield wipers would be heavy weight. They, so one of the things they talked about, I think it was Sunday morning, was actually the NASCAR cars in Chicago were running their, quote, wet weather package, which included mud flaps and windshield wipers. I did hear them saying that they were going to run a wet weather package. And I was like, oh, my word. I was just kind of one. I mean, I, I get it, Chicago, and the roads are not great. But mud why, flaps? Why, why did they need mud flaps? Mud or flaps. just in general, the fact that why does NASCAR, I mean, they only run on paved tracks. So what do they need mud flaps for? And so it doesn't kick up all that carbon fiber debris. Uh, well, yeah. So, I, I, I need to, I, I will tell you this story. Um, some of my friends on Facebook were complaining about the fact that um, the very thought of bringing NASCAR to downtown Chicago was ill-conceived at best. Um, you know, putting, basically shutting down a highly uh, trafficked pedestrian and tourist area for a race that seemed <clears throat> odd in so very many ways. So one of the comments to the original comment was, I don't understand, you know, why are you down on NASCAR when, you know, there's also Grand Prix um, out there and, you know, you're not talking bad about these other countries that have the, the Grand Prix. And the statement comes back of Formula One's roots are in wealthy people having an event style race. It's, it's the playboy atmosphere of it. It's considered, you know, high end. NASCAR's roots are in running away from the cops. Therefore, True. low end. <laughs> well, the, the the thing that I would go back to on the folks who are complaining about, well, why would you close down this popular area that, you know, touristy for a race and all of this stuff. But the reality is that area, that general area in particular, with the exception of maybe Michigan Avenue and part of Lakeshore Drive, gets closed down multiple times through the summer for things like 
Taste of Chicago, Lollapalooza, and all of these other events that they have over in the park over there. So from that perspective, yeah, no, the argument doesn't work for me. But Lollapalooza and Taste of Chicago don't shut down, not just that area, but all of those roads around that area for three weeks before the event and up to two weeks after the event. <clears throat> yeah, usually it's only about two or three days, but mm-hmm. still. I mean, yeah, big difference. Five yeah. weeks. I Because I was getting on a plane with a bunch of the NASCAR guys when they came to see the track the first time. Mm-hmm. And they were talking to, because they were all wearing their NASCAR shirts, and somebody in the line was asking them about the race. And the guy's like, yeah, we're going to be shutting down that area in Chicago for a month. Like, a month? That's crazy talk to me. And it's a three-year deal. But we talk about similar closures for Singapore. Mm. The only reason we don't talk about quite as long closures for Monaco is because apparently Monaco's decided that, well, yes, the setup takes that long, but they're just going to keep the traffic flowing while they do it. Because that's Monaco. Well, the traffic is so bad, nobody notices one way or the other. It's the other piece of it, but, you know. My favorite part of the story about Monaco and the setup for them is the fact that they have to take all of the trucks up to a certain spot, and it's like an overlook, and they all park there to put stuff on the smaller lorries to get into the streets of Monaco, and it's, that concept just blows my mind. We, you know, we're going to go to a scenic overlook to transfer all of the stuff we have to take down to the pits. So... Fantasy GP. I had a bad week. You know, you say that, and yet, once again, there was a 30-point spread between the top four. Well, yeah. It has been super close to the top four for the past three races, four races now? Well, yeah, but... I was fourth I know. this time. Your, your feeling is you didn't win and that everything else sucks because you didn't win. The I didn't say everything else sucked. I said I had a bad week. I did not say all of you people <clears throat> suck. I didn't say any of that. I said I had a bad week. I had some, I, I tried some out there predictions to see if I couldn't sway and move the, move the needle. Well, I moved to the needle just in the wrong direction. This was a hard, I mean, that's the challenge with sprint races. It's a hard weekend to figure out some kind of reasonable prediction. Oh, yeah. Because there's no time to get any understanding for a prediction of what the free practices are, are, are looking like and what things are looking to shape out to be. And it didn't help that, you know, just everything was weird about the weekend. Um, by the way, got to do a shout out to one of our frequent commenters and loyal fan. Um, I am 100% in agreement with you, Phil. Uh, the more I see these sprint races, the more I dislike them. I, I will, and, and it hasn't changed my mind. I'm still not in support of them. The, the sprint race was kind of good in Austria, other than Max Verstappen running. You know, there was a comment that was made, and I don't remember if it was on um, the five live coverage or if it was done during the sky sports commentary of one of the sessions that 
You know, if it wasn't for Red Bull, this would be a really exciting season. Yeah, that was actually on Sky. Sky said that. Yeah. Um, Because behind Max, there was a lot going on. Both both days. There really was. There was. And the left, you know, the wrench that got turned into this sprint race was typically our sprint races have no pit stops. But this Mm -hmm. one did because of the changing conditions with the rain. And that was... That was interesting. That provided some some interest. My issue with the sprint race now in its new new format. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Yeah. It, there there's a, a handful of points that are being handed out, and it does not matter. Um, it doesn't affect the race. So quite frankly, what it does in my mind, because you know we were talking about why do this? It's for viewership. And when the sprint race determined the grid, you you had said. Well, now you're going to make somebody that's semi-invested not just watch the race, but now they've Mm -hmm. got to watch qualifying to understand the sprint and then the sprint to understand the race. I mean, that was your your order. And now that the sprint race doesn't affect the race race and it's its own standalone event, you could totally ignore it. Like, it does not matter. close. So... You've just now said, okay, now I've got some Friday viewership for qualifying for the people that care about qualifying. And I've got the race viewership. You probably are not getting that same viewership lift, really, um, because it doesn't matter. And I disliked it. But speaking of Phil, we have to congratulate him. He did break my win streak. Well, somebody had to. It was odd that I won that one. That, that I had a streak going that long. May, may your loss of the win streak predict Max Verstappen's loss of a win streak soon. Yeah, I'm not sure we're going to get there. Anyway, because I didn't do a pre-roll, we'll go right into the news. Wait, what? you mean you're not doing the Hills Are Alive with the sound of Formula One this year? No. Are you feeling okay? You roll your eyes at it. When I went to pull it up, you're like, no, don't do it. It's going to be better without it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because I said we should have this conversation that we were having right before the show, that we should share it with the the studio audience, that they should get to enjoy the fact that we were bantering about, about the hills are alive that you normally pull up and you're like, I don't have a a good background noise, so I didn't record anything for the uh it's not fantasy a, gp it, it's also not long enough to be a backing track for for that you just you open know, it up in seconds but you love it so they ran it one year and it's been your go-to austria grand prix trope ever since it's a good one it was mildly amusing seven years ago when they aired it it's a good one. Yeah, it's one of your faves. So, now can can I talk about other stuff? Sure. Maybe. So, Alpine has secured 200 million euros from investors. They've essentially stole a 24% stake in the team to a U.S.-based investor group. Now... Everyone has glommed on to this over the fact that it is, well, one, and, and the investment group inc- includes three smaller investment groups. 
Williams. And actually, I should talk about that first. Okay. I'm going to bury the lead that everybody jumped on and cover this opposite the way everybody jumped on it. Because you have to be different. Well, it's because I think everyone ignored that there was more to the deal than just what was put forward. So the investment group that, that purchased the team and overall it valued the team at $900 million, that for the 24% stake, it was Otro Capital, Redbird Capital Partners, and Maximum Effort Investments. Redboard, Redbird's portfolio includes the third largest stake in Fenway Sports Group, which owns the Boston Red Sox and Premier Football uh, and a Premier League f- football team, Liverpool Football Club. Also holds a stake in AC Milan and Toulouse. The one that everybody glommed onto and caught all the headlines was Maximum Effort Investments. That is led by Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney. Mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds of Deadpool and... Well, and also Wrexham. Well, that that was the other pieces. And that's... Ryan and, and, and Rob bought Wrexham Football Club, took an old club that had been long relegated, and with investment managed to get them into, I believe it's in the Premier League. I mean, they did... It, the phenomenal story of the turnaround that they did with Wrexham is huge, which kind of begs the question and why everybody's going after this Mm -hmm. is so ryan reynolds has got kind of stepped back behind the the curtain his marketing engine that he kind of orchestrates is pretty phenomenal um well it's not just the marketing engine his overall business portfolio and but and driven by some of the the marketing Mm -hmm. so one of the things that he's done i mean he he owned aviation gen he doesn't own it anymore. What he did? I thought he did. Mint he Mobile. He sold. He sold uh, aviation. So what he does is he gets them. He gets them started. Gets them up and running and moving forward and making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And then he sells them off and kind of then wash rinse and repeat. Aviation Gen is probably one of his first real successes in this model that he's built. But it, they're terming it in the marketing industry as fast advertising. And kind of that fast fashion concept, but fast advertising. What he does is he finds something that's trending and then tells his ad team to build something around that trend. Mm -hmm. So Aviation Gents take on this was, do you remember that Peloton commercial that got all the backlash? Yeah. They came out with an Aviation Gen commercial that's the same woman that's in the Peloton Mm -hmm. commercial at a bar. And it kind of continues that with a twist on the story, that tongue-in-cheek thing. Instantly, like, got a lot of notoriety and recognition. He's done the same thing. Now he goes off and buys Wrexham Football Club that is, you know, last in its last in its sector and pours a lot of money into it. But he also does a deal to do a documentary on mm-hmm. that piece so that other investors are coming into it because of the notoriety it's like the drive to survive thing with netflix it's all of those things to get people noticing what he's doing it's phenomenal but now we got a left field thing question here out his investment in alpine which is why everybody's talking about it Mm -hmm. people know what formula one is they know the alpine team so it's not like you're taking something small and exploding it which is what he's done with all these other entities what's the catch everybody's looking for what is his catch well 
it doesn't help the confusing comments that have come from Alpine because, and, and when I say Alpine, I mean greater Alpine, not the Formula One team because we've heard comments that Alpine, part of the reason why Alpine wanted this investment was to raise the brand's profile within the sports car and motorsports world. Now, they're already a well-known brand, so that's kind of confusing. But the team was also very quick to say, well, this is an investment-only deal in the Formula One team, not in the performance and sports car side of the house. So it, it it's a head-scratcher as to what exactly Ryan's bringing to the deal, well, Ryan's investment group, I should say, is bringing to the deal other than money. Now, it could be that this is a passion project. I don't know. Um, there, there's not. We know that that he's had some kind of contact with with Estefan Ocon, mm-hmm. and they've been messaging back and forth. He's been interacting with the team, but it doesn't sound like he's taking a leadership role in the team. The deal includes a seat on the board. Hang on. I had it a second ago. Um, yeah. Otro Capital's co-founder, Alex Schneier, uh, will join the team's board of directors. But he's the only one who's been named as getting a seat on the board as a result of this. So I don't... It, it, it's really hard to tell what they're bringing here. And, and again, the team's got a big marketing arm already. And that's the part that... You know, that's the head scratcher and everybody's looking for what is Ryan's angle. Yeah. And that's why it's the headline. And you know, <clears throat> yes, there's other investors that are part of this group, but Ryan's not exactly known. And and maybe it's just a matter of we don't know the things that he invests in that aren't these big publicity pieces. Yeah. And so you know, maybe it's a fact that he's part of a, a greater investment group that it, his name's attached to it, but not big. I don't know. This will be an interesting thing to watch. And because of my passion towards marketing, I'm watching it from that standpoint. Because mm-hmm. there's so much about this that has that 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 twist, the business side of it. So the other talking point, I guess, from the is as Formula One and the FIA are working to finalize and put together the rules packages both for the engine rules for 2026 or yeah 2026 and the chassis rules for 2026 we're starting to get some initial indications of what things are going to look like They've started to build out some simulator models to see how how things would work. The two key pieces that it sounds like that they are moving towards is one is this idea of a a 50-50 split between uh, power coming from the internal combustion engine and the electric recovery systems in the car. That and also a return to active aero. Oh. So... We had the the return to ground effects. Now there's talk of active aero. 
they've started to run simulation runs with the proposed rule package as it stands right now. And at least coming from Red Bull, and it may be... Red Bull's the only one who has publicly come out and said that there's an issue, but there's a rumbling that some of the other team bosses are expressing concerns over the simulation runs to begin with. The big one being is that from what they understand and know that they can deliver today, there is concern that there is the car will not have enough power to make it around a lap. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, that between, with this 50-50 mix, they can't run at full throttle. They'll, de- they'll deplete the batteries. So in order to try and make sure that they can make it, they're downshifting on the straights. Well, that's not going to do good racing. Yeah. So they're starting to raise some concerns. Um, there's also concerns about how teams may have to adapt the active aero concepts in order to preserve enough power for this to work. Oh. Huh. I wonder if this is something that if they just specified horsepower and a few other key things and some safety, we could have some better cars? Yeah, but that's not the direction they're looking to go. Because, well, this is part of their their greening Formula One efforts here. And the sustainability and reducing the reliance. And to some extent, I agree with where they're going. I don't know. Well, you know, one of the things that they could consider doing, which would be kind of interesting, would be um, instead of insisting that it's 50% electric, consider looking into and having them explore alternative fuels. Not just electric, but alternative fuels. Um, And and open up the fuel specification. Right. Yeah, I I, I like that idea. Um, I I haven't heard anything about it as of yet. But if they went the direction that, that um, the WEC went a couple of years ago and, you know, oh, you want to run a diesel car? Go for it. You know, back when VW was still putting out cheater diesels. Well, there were, <laughs> there were the cheater diesels. Um, but again, I mean, there's some other ways to green other than just going for electric. And I yeah. think that I think that people get very narrow minded that that's the only option in cars to be green cars. Well, I, I do think you know since we're mentioning the screen piece, we do have to mention the experiment that Formula One conducted this weekend, which I have not heard anything negative about, and and I actually would like to learn a little bit more about it. What they set up, they set up their own fuel farm generation type system, um, solar powered and renewable energy to power the paddock, the media center, and um, a lot of the ancillary services in the paddock area for the weekend. Oh, really? As far as we know, it worked well. There were, there were some overhead shots. There was a full-on solar farm that they set up. 
I would be really interested to know if that's something that they're now trucking around or they plan on trucking around, or if this is going to be, we're going to invest in the tracks that we go to, to put this in. I don't know. So that brings up a really big conundrum in my mind, Mm -hmm. because I love the idea of, I mean, think about it. A track has got a significant amount of space. Yeah. And some of that's pretty sunny, given the fact that you don't typically have a whole lot of trees growing over Mm -hmm. the track and things like that. So the thought of building solar farms in racetrack areas to power the paddock, I mean, just that power alone, I think, would be phenomenal greening of Mm -hmm. the the series. But if you aren't going to make that permanent and you're going to then put that in trucks and truck that around, do you ultimately offset the conservation that you do with solar-powered paddocks on the carbon emissions to truck the solar power around? I mean, it seems like it would only be a positive move if, for example, we were putting solar power panels on top of all of the paddocks, you know, so that you're right there. and make it a permanent thing because then you're not just greening Formula One, you're greening all motorsports that occur yep. in that location. At the facility. At the facility. You're doing good beyond just one race. Somebody should look into that. I, I agree. If only there was an initiative run by Formula One that was supposed to be around sustainability and environmental and social consciousness if only there was oh that's right they got rid of that um because they said they accomplished it right yeah something like that so this week we were in austria yes at the red bull ring and once i want to rename the red bull ring well so i wasn't going to mention it but since you brought it up so when max got his first win at the Red Bull ring. He jokingly said that when he got his fifth, he was going to ask that they rename it after him. Okay. He got his fifth this weekend. My. <laughs> um, that was not what I wanted to rename the Red Bull ring. <clears throat> I wanted to rename the Red Bull ring to be the penalty box. It was pretty bad. And and it's it's gotten so there was a graphic that was up on, on Reddit yesterday afternoon that it has gotten progressively worse every year at the Red Bull Ring. This is a known issue there. Um so what we're specifically talking about, and, and if you saw the race, you know already the track limits issue at the exit of turn nine into turn ten and the exit of turn 10 and cars running off the track in the dry it wasn't an issue in the wet because they were going slower they were going slower and they, were, they did not want to get onto those painted areas mm-hmm. but it was an issue in the dry and i've said it before and i'll say it again i don't have a problem with penalties being handed out for exceeding track limits I agree 100%. 
The field of play is between the white lines. The drivers need to keep all four within the lines. What I have a problem with after this and the ridiculous number of lap time deletions that occurred throughout the entire weekend and penalties that occurred throughout the entire weekend is it was such an ongoing issue that I argue the problem is with the track. That's that's the reality. If it is <clears throat> not possible, which given the number of penalties, it feels like it's very difficult to stay within those white lines. And it's, it's consistently at the same corner. So what is... It's not a matter that it's difficult to stay in the lines. What it is, and, and a couple of the folks have explained it. The drivers know that if you go, you push it as much to the edge on that corner, coming out of nine into 10 and at coming out of 10, if you push it, you get more, it's faster. Right. The problem is, and they all also acknowledge it, where they sit, it is even harder there more than other places when you're pushing it to see if, to to spot whether or not you're actually within the limits. It's a design of the track issue. Mm -hmm. And it is, knowing this, there is, because it's got a long and large asphalt runoff area, there's no real penalty to running off the track. No. From a speed perspective. Right. So. No natural penalty. Yeah. So they cheat it, they get a little extra time, and they move on. If As long as you keep one wheel in, you're going to maximize. The, Formula One and the FIA recognized the issue last year. Mm-hmm. And we had a ton of penalties over this last year. They recognized the issue last year. They went to the organizers and they said, look, you got to do something. Put in gravel. That'll slow everything down. And the organizers of the... Re- of the race and the and the full-on ownership and management of the track said yep we hear you we're not doing it and they elected not to because the problem is this is a track that also holds multiple moto gp events and they don't like gravel right because gravel hurts when you fall off a bike and slide across it badly well it doesn't just hurt when you fall off the bike it makes it more likely you're going to fall off the bike Yes, if you hit the gravel. But if you hit the gravel and then fall off the bike and skid across it, you are definitely doing road rash. And you know who else got road rash? Did you see the video of Jetpack Guy? Yes! <laughs> Jetpack Guy pre combined with the, the video of Oscar Piastri's reaction watching Jetpack Guy's incident flying down the front straight with the checkered flag to deliver the checkered flag when his... Jet engines cut out on him, and he plummeted to the ground and skidded down the track and into the gravel trap. Yeah, he probably has a little road rash. Yeah. (laughs) So, I know that this weekend, this race, was entirely marred by penalties. Up one side and down the other. But I also know that there were some post-race changes was that a result of somebody protesting? Believe it or not, Aston Martin lodged a protest 
of the provisional race results, specifically because of the fact that they claimed in their protest that a number of cars were not penalized for potentially having breached track limits repeatedly. And their argument was because these cars weren't penalized, it would impact their finishing position. Oh, wow. And shockingly, the stewards upheld the the challenge. Oh, because they just were not done giving out penalties. Uh, to, To give you an idea of what race control was looking at, there were 1,200 reported instances of cars exceeding track limits. They initially reviewed a hundred of them. Oh my. That's what the initial round of penalties during the race were from. Approximately 100 instances. So approximately, if you take, because it's a 71 lap race, Mm -hmm. if you take 1,200 incidents, divide it by 71 laps, Mm -hmm. you average 17 track limit violations per lap. Which means... All but five cars. Five? You have 22 cars on the track. Don't you only have 10 teams? 20 cars. Yeah. Well, you, let, let's also not forget the fact that... Hulkenberg. Nico Hulkenberg <laughs> gets himself a black and white flag for exceeding track limits because his car broke down. Right. Okay, that was excessive. <laughs> that, when we talk about penalties... Just kick the guy when he's down. I mean, that was excessive. <laughs> Can we just pause for a second and put a giant pause button on the penalty problem? Can we talk about Hulk for a second? What an incredible start. Yeah. Poor guy. I mean, went from... I mean, an amazing start. Took advantage of that little thing right at the beginning slid himself up into second wow and then he didn't finish yeah poor guy all right so set on average 17 infractions a lap yeah which with 20 cars on the lap would mean approximately three at any given lap three cars did not exceed track limits there were pro- I think all of three drive, two or three drivers that did not get a single penalty for exceeding track limits. And I know Max was one of them. Yeah. And I think Lando was the other one. Interesting. Yeah. That was it. Wow. I, it's almost like you should give them bonus points if they don't get any penalties or they never exceed track limits. Because... Mm-hmm. Okay, you have to understand. That does not mean that they did not exceed track limits. Because you can exceed it three times. And you can get a black and white flag, but not get uh, a, penalty. a penalty. So you get four shots yep. at exceeding over 71 laps before you would get the first penalty. And some got multiple penalties. Um, so that's not saying that they didn't exceed. They just did not exceed it more than four times. Let's go with that. So as a result of the protest... The stewards issued another 12 penalties. Oh my. This is and, and this is where it gets really insane. So for starters, penalties were applied as follows. For four infringements, a five-second time penalty. 
for five infringements, a 10 second time penalty. Then a reset has been allowed due to the excessive number of infringements. The counting of infringements restarts. After another four infringements, a five second time penalty will apply. After five, a 10 second time penalty. So first one who gets a 10 second time penalty, Carlos Sainz, followed by Lewis Hamilton with a 10 second time penalty. Pierre Gasly with a time sec- 10 second time penalty. Alexander Albin with a time- 10 second time penalty. Esteban Ocon, a five second time penalty. Then a 10 second time penalty. Then a five second time penalty. Then a ten- another 10 second time penalty. Esteban Ocon broke Pastor Maldonado's record for the most time penalties in a single race. That is not a record he wanted to break it's my understanding that for next week's race in silverstone esteban's starting to race in hungary <laughs> and he has to hitch his ride yeah. <laughs> to the channel <gasps> yeah wow um then logan started logan Sargent got a 10 second time Nick DeVries with a 10-second time penalty and a 5-second time penalty, and Yuki with a 5-second time penalty. Oh, Joe Guan Yu was the other one who did not get it, uh, any time penalties Okay, for track limits. So I'm going to argue <clears throat> that this I, we can't see the white line problem. If Joe can't... No. No, Yuki's, Yuki's the, the, the one problem. you're thinking of. I'm thinking. Never mind. I, mean, I Joe, withdraw my statement. Joe's not big either but he's but. not yuki short <laughs> i'm gonna say yuki can barely see over the top of the car <laughs> yeah there's a shot of yuki <clears throat> standing next to george russell <laughs> as they're walking onto the George is like two feet taller than yuki yuki does not make it to his shoulder yeah like it is wild so that's the penalty list in, in the, the letter from the stewards, the last sentence in, in the letter mm-hmm. from the stewards, the stewards very strongly recommend that a solution be found to the track limit situation at this circuit. Yeah. Now, all of this played out, well, after the announcement that F1 had extended their deal for the Austrian Grand Prix to be held at the Red Bull Ring through 2030. Mm. This might have been a good thing to include in your contract. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they could do something with like some um, removable curbing or something that would have a natural well, penalty. That that's the thing that they that they've said has has exacerbated the situation because originally the way that they were handling this was with sausage curbs. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with sausage curbs is it that launches the car. it launches the car or it breaks the car. So they've tried it with various forms of curbing and yeah, it damages the cars and cause all of these issues and nobody wants that either. So that's why all the curbing was pulled out. Yeah. The gravel traps really work well for cars because it, it's something that can be recovered. It's minimal damage to the car, mm-hmm. you know, unless it's in Melbourne and 
Alonzo's upside down going through the gravel <laughs> trap. I mean, it, it happens. I mean, Martin Brunville did the same thing. It was a mirror image of the same thing. But yeah, minimal damage to the car can swamp the car. Sometimes they can return to the track. But it, I mean, a wall? I mean, something that's I, well, removable. Yeah. Um, and a tire wall? I mean, I don't... Armco barrier? We have enough tracks where there's hard limits on the sides. It's either that or reprofile <clears throat> that corner. It's one or the other. I, I think that's probably going to be the better answer. Well, the answer that the Red Bull ring is going to be more amenable to is somehow reprofiling that corner so that drivers can't take it the same way but yet moto gp isn't impacted right i mean that's the only thing i can think of so other news Mm -hmm. so a couple of weeks ago we talked about the fact that that helmet marco has decided that that they're not selling the alpha tori squad but they're rethinking how the team operates and moving a greater portion of the team to facilities in Milton Kynes so it's adjacent to Red Bull and they can share resources as much as possible and the team will not be quite as independent. The other thing that Helmut said is that this is the last year that the team will be known as AlphaTauri. Oh, is there a deal with the clothing company ending or something well alpha tori is one of red bull's brands right but it's a clothing brand yeah so i i don't think it's so much a deal ending as no i i don't know it hasn't excited me about their brand Mm. not the least of which is i think the clothes are expensive and not even close to my style but anyway um you have a style it's not <laughs> it, it's not their stuff see also true it's not their stuff um so that led a, a, a lot of folks to theorize so does this mean we're gonna see toro rosso return as a team name franz toast of all people has come out and said no mm-hmm. he has hinted that he thinks that it will that whatever they settle on will be based on a sponsorship deal. Ah. So it sounds like they're looking to sell naming rights for the team. What I don't understand is when Porsche was looking to own a team, why the Red Bull organization didn't go, hey, you want to buy this one? Because they still like to have their B team and their their baby team so they can, you know, collaborate all the results. And they have four cars on the grid as opposed to two. But that's where they could have sold the majority stake with the we get to have input over a driver's seat. Because they handed Honda one of those driver's seats. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I, I, I don't understand why they didn't do that. So next year we'll have a rebranded Toro Rosso Alpha Tori. So, of course, the question becomes, you know, it took us years to stop calling it Toro Rosso. And we still call it Toro Rosso occasionally. Yeah. Uh, how long is it going to take us to 
change again? I mean, we still call uh, the Sauber team Sauber. <laughs> yeah, but we got pretty good about not calling Alpine Renault or Lotus. Well, we definitely didn't call them Lotus. We called them the Enstone team a few times. Everybody calls them the Enstone team. See? So, I mean, that that's not just us. That That is a name that the team embraces. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not official. True. So, we have the British Grand Prix this week. I do not know how we're going to do a show this weekend. I'm just, I'm looking at the calendar and I don't know how it's going to work. Um, we will try, but I don't know. Um, That's probably not happening. I'm looking at your calendar, <clears throat> yeah. my calendar... There's a lot going on this weekend. The good news is it is not a sprint weekend. Yay! Um, but being Silverstone and the home race for so many teams in some form or fashion, they're all doing stuff to celebrate and commemorate. So Williams, we don't know what it's going to look like yet. We should know in a few days. They're going to be running a special livery to commemorate, believe it or not, their eight hundredth race wow i I think they celebrated their 700th at silverstone too wouldn't didn't go well (laughs) wouldn't surprise me (laughs) but 800 races wow that's awesome so all they tell us is that it will be striking okay we don't know what that means it's going to be a picture of frank on the cover on the hood it might be i don't know i dare you guys um, however, McLaren did unveil their special livery for the British Grand Prix, and they are saying that it is a throwback livery, and that just kind of kills me. It's a throwback livery? Yeah. Okay, what are they throwing back to? Chrome. When was chrome a thing? Um, 2012, when we started watching... Going back to 2008 when Lewis won his first title. Remember the car was shiny silver? Okay. Okay. So apparently, Lando has been pushing Zach for a chrome livery for a couple years now. Okay. They kind of did it this year. Now, keep in mind also who McLaren's partner is. Starts with a G, ends with Oogle. <laughs> and they have Chrome. Yes. So there's a there's a tie here. I see. So, so <laughs> this this is how they had their sponsor pay for a livery change. Oh, we're gonna throw back to Chrome. <laughs> now do you get it? Now I get yeah, it. Now, now you've caught up there. Yeah. Um, they're not doing the whole car. Okay. Um, it's really just the, the front wing, the nose, and the top of the engine cover. Okay. Um, the rest of it is still staying with the papaya. For a couple... And, and, and Zach has said even the fans have been pushing for a return to this. However, the team is not doing it um, for two reasons. <clears throat> One is they were not looking to do a full livery change of the car um, because there's a limit to the number of times that they're allowed to do it 
per the rules. Okay. So this is, they, they can make changes due to sponsors and, and that. So that's what they're arguably doing. They're changing parts of the livery. For their sponsorship with Chrome, right. Google's Chrome. Okay. So there's that. But apparently, especially in these new weight-constrained eras, we're going to fat shame the car. Um, <laughs> there is concern over the added weight from the chrome uh, paint. Oh, well, see, I would understand that. I mean, <clears throat> we know that the history of the reason Mercedes is called the Silver Arrows is because they didn't paint the car. Mm -hmm. And there are parts of the McLaren that for the last year or two has been bare unpainted carbon fiber to save weight. Mm -hmm. Amazing to me how much those... <laughs> couple of grams. I mean, and microseconds is what it's going to save but mm -hmm. those are important but it's to get also within the weight limits right because every gram of paint is a gram that the driver can't weigh yeah which preventing our drivers from being anorexic is a top priority i saw a picture this weekend of lewis one of his workout race preps and it, it reminded me a lot, if you remember, I think it was the last year or the year before his last year of racing for Mark Webber. And we looked at him and we were like, wow, does he look gaunt. That was kind of the impression I got. Oh, wow. That's that's so hard. You know, Webber being particularly, Lewis is fortunate in that he's not very tall. I think he's only five foot six, five foot seven. Mark Weber was pushing six feet mm -hmm. and like Hulkenberg and, and George Russell too, that extra height weighs, weighs. Um, yeah. I remember when Mark retired and we saw him come back as a commentator mm -hmm. and he'd put, you know, he'd filled back out and we were like, whoa, he looks so healthy. <laughs> so our last story, since we're talking about Lewis. Okay. Still don't have a contract. I'm not surprised. He's got six months left. Toto was asked about it. Mm -hmm. He says he still feels really confident. Um, he says that um, at this point, the extension is no longer about, or the conversation is no longer about money or duration of the contract. He says it is about other issues. Hmm. We don't know what those issues are. Um, he does say that Lewis's team is, um, they want to be very clear and super for every detail. And he says, sometimes you can have a situation where everything is carved out. Um, but like he said, not about money. It's, he says, it's all about the future. What is it that we want to do right and optimize? We're not talking anything anymore about duration, money, all of that. It's other topics. Okay. That makes me think a couple of different things mm -hmm. that he wants input on design or performance or something like that or he wants an exit into the team as part of the strategy going forward like i will drive for two more years and then i want to be on the team as a whatever i definitely think that's some of it what, what i don't know is is he looking to make a move into the team or is he looking to dictate what his 
brand ambassador duties and responsibilities would be. A la, remember, technically when Nico Rosberg retired for a year, he was a Mercedes brand ambassador. We have no idea what he did, but he was... So, so they could be planning for, his retirement yeah. gig. That's, that's also something, too. Whether, whether it's brand ambassador, whether it's supporting any of the various initiatives that he's thinking that he wants to get more involved in when he retires, and maybe he's looking to see if he can lock Mercedes' support in for those initiatives to help him move forward towards his goals. I don't know. And. I think those are all distinct possibilities, if not all three. Um, you know, something in input towards today's car, because I think he has opinions mm-hmm. and he he wants some input into that, um, and what his retirement's going to look like and what role the team and what role within the team he would have. But I also would not be surprised, knowing Lewis and his activism, how he could tie them up into supporting the 44 foundation Mm -hmm. and those initiatives which quite frankly i'd be really in support of because i think they've moved the needle in motorsport what i do find a little bit troubling is in canada when toto was asked about it he said that they would have something within days not weeks we're now rolling what about three weeks later we still don't have anything and toto has said that there won't be something in advance of Silverstone. I don't know. I'm not worried. I I don't... Honestly, I think it, it it's going to be a question of does he extend or does he retire? That's really where it is. And... Is he still... Does he still think that the car... That the team can deliver him a car? And that's the question. And... The reality is, I, I, I wonder what the math is really going to look like. Because I'm not convinced that that car is going to make remarkable changes and advancements until the next rules package. And it's certainly not potential right now. And that would, I mean, if I was sitting in Lewis's shoes at Lewis's age, um, not that he's old because he's still far younger than I am, um, but if I was sitting in his shoes and thinking about timing, we're talking two more years beyond this year before there's a rules change. Does he hold out for those two years and let him have 26 and say, okay, depending on mm-hmm. the car you come up with on 26 is whether or not I retire. Um, is that is that also part of this? I mean, that could be, it's not duration or, or money. It's the future it could be i want an exit at 26 if the car doesn't perform we'll know that when we see what, how long the extension is for yeah you know if, if they hand him a three-year extension that's exactly what it is yeah um and from what we know of lewis it wouldn't surprise me if he went with a three-year extension just so that he could experience, you know, with, with this talk about Active Arrow and some of the other, just so that he could experience that. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that we are done with Lewis Hamilton in the sport yet. I don't think he's quite done yet. 
I, I'm inclined to agree there. Yeah. Well, on that agreement, <laughs> we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Bye. Bye bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye bye now. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is there is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.